welcome. Uh, today on Perspectives, I'm joined by Emily D'Angelo and Russ Brasher, both members of our adult ministry team at our Wexford campus. Welcome. Thanks for having us. So, uh, so if this airs when uh, when we think it's going to air, um, yesterday was the Super Bowl. Russ, what was your reaction to the Super Bowl? Uh, well, I was hoping that the team that won didn't win, but it was a good game to watch and halftime show was better this year than last year. That was well put. So for those of you listening, we actually recorded this before the Super Bowl, and I just thought I'd put Russ on the spot and see see how well he did. That that was that was I good. wasn't giving your Packers any 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 love? Any love yet. Well, they could lose in the championship as of this moment. So so Emily, what did you think of the Super Bowl? It's good we're talking about idolatry today because I'm not <laughs> one who idolizes sports, but I love people who do. So Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm among those. So you idolize them. So ah. you're welcome. Or theater. There you yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, there's, hey. there are other Call things. Me so Call me out. Uh, now, now, I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I know you well enough to know you like theater as much as I like sports. Yes. And yeah. so so if I idolize sports, there's a chance, at least, that, uh, <laughs> that that's there. So, well, uh, Emily did mention today we are going to talk again about idolatry. And today is probably one of the idolatries that's, that's um, most common in our country. And what we're going to talk about is how easy it is to idolize family and children. And sometimes this even gets sanctified, and by that I mean Christianized, uh, by our Christian subculture. Uh, you know, there was a show that's been around forever, Focus on the Family, with the whole idea of, of how do you make your family all it should be in God's eyes in this. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it it can almost foster this idea that that if you're really a person of faith, um, that your family will be um, central and thrive and all of this. And, and it can almost play into this sense of idolatry where you almost add a Christian element to it. I remember when I started working in the church years and years ago, I had an older pastor say to me, he said, you know, one of the dangers of ministry, he said, is that is that when somebody works in industry and they work 60, 70 hours a week, he said, everybody looks at it and says, you're selling your soul to the company store, so to speak. You need to have some life work balance. But he said in church work, he said, the, the danger is whatever you do, you think in your mind, I'm doing this for God. And, and so you're applauded for working super hard rather than anybody calling it out. And, and he, he basically said, said, so you have to watch that, that the God piece of it doesn't become an excuse to do something that's actually unhealthy. And my point in telling that story right now is just to say, sometimes with the family, we can use the God piece, which is legitimate, as an excuse to almost make family everything. So, so but let me start with this question. Um, how do you know when, when family or children are starting to go from a healthy priority into a dangerous priority or an idolatrous priority? Emily, you want to take first crack at that? Sure. I, I think you can know that experientially. I, um, I was looking for to define idolatry because I like to define what we're going to be talking about. And it's a pretty simple thing that I think all of our listeners know what it is. But I I found that Tim Keller talks about in Counterfeit Gods. This is how he identifies the word idolatry. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. 
anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God, and then this is key, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. So I think that in my own life, I've realized that I've put my family above God when I got to the point where I had nothing else to give them, like I was completely worn out from parenting Mm -hmm. because I hadn't spent any time in my relationship with God. I had not spent any time in his word. I was showing up on Sundays and I was usually interrupted by a baby's need for his mama during the service. And so I wasn't even getting anything on the weekends Mm -hmm. from our, you know, our church experiences because I wasn't investing in my relationship with God and I was completely undone. Mm. And so in essence, I didn't even realize that just in the, you know, parenting my children, they had become what I was trying to get from God, my all in all, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and um, so I had to reorient myself in that season of life and, and get back to just daily time in his word and in prayer and in feeding my own soul so that I could then mm-hmm. serve my family. So I think experientially would be my answer to that question. Okay. So how does somebody know when experientially they're hitting that point? Because I think one of the dangers of idolatry is that a lot of times we can't see it ourselves. Maybe somebody else can see it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of joked at the beginning about theater and, and sports where you were like, yeah, we're talking about idolatry, sports. And the truth is, it's probably easier for you to identify that I like sports too much than it is for me um, to identify that. So how does somebody, how does somebody um, begin to, to get a handle on, okay, maybe I can know it experientially, but maybe I'm blinded. How, how does somebody say, okay, maybe this is, is more important to me? Yeah, almost, I think what you're asking is like, What's the warning signs or the the lights on the dash are starting to chime that we don't even realize that we've made our kids idols in our lives. And it's hard because, you know, I, I think idolatry is connected so much to our identity. And essentially, when we aren't looking to God for our identity, we will look somewhere else and and try to find it and fill that gap. And our children are such an easy place to go. And it seems like it's right, even when it, it, it comes off as wrong. I, I guess my point is, um, like when I think a, a thing for me, and you know, I was talking to my wife about this beforehand, and you know, our kids, we've realized that we've maybe started to idolize our kids when what they do affects my identity, and I, I, I think I oh now I am bad a bad parent or a bad person because of what my kid did or didn't do or how my kid responded or the things that my kid are, is doing regardless of whatever impression or, you know, thing I was trying to show or teach my kid when they aren't living as I want them to, I, that bec- I, I own that. I, am I making sense? Like mm-hmm. you own that and it becomes who you are like, Oh, now I'm a bad person parent or a bad person. Well, when you want your kids either character or success to give you something. That's what, that's what I'm trying to get you at. Are, mm-hmm. You are borrowing worth mm-hmm. from them, which in some sense is idolatry. Um, I remember, uh, back to sports, but uh, I remember when, uh, so yes, you're hearing that this could be one of my idols. Um, <laughs> 
when when one of my sons was playing basketball and I was coaching his team, this was youth basketball, I remember one time getting really frustrated with him because he wasn't defending the other team's best player the way that I thought that he could. And I started to to chirp on him, like, like, you know, you gotta do this, gotta do that. And um, and I remember very distinctly realizing after the fact that that was more about me than it was about him and me wanting him to be good because to me somehow that was important instead of saying you know what play the game the way you want to play and and what I learned for myself was that I needed to move from trying to coach him not even officially but unofficially like at home and tell him all the things I knew about how to be a good basketball player um, into being a fan Um, and just saying, I'm just here to support you because when I was trying to coach him, I wasn't actually trying to coach him for him. I was trying to coach him for me. And I needed to get to a point where I was saying, okay, basketball is your, your thing, not my thing. And I'm a fan of whatever you decide you want it to be. And if you want to come to me and access whatever knowledge I have about that to help you get better, great. But if not, I'm just going to show up and cheer for you. And that's enough. And, but but it took uh, a moment of ugliness almost in order to see it where it was like, like I had to, I had to kind of in the middle of it go, why do I care so much? Right. And all of a sudden it was, I care so much because I feel somehow validated if he plays well, that, that was too important to me. And so, so, so I do think that's, that's one when we are borrowing something from and and it isn't just kids. It can be our marriage, um, our spouse. Where it's like, you know, does my spouse interact in a certain way, or is my marriage strong? Um, those things can also be pretty strong idols. Yeah, I, I I and I agree. And that's I guess that was my thing too. Like when your when your kid does something that it's like, oh gosh, when those eyes turn on you and the people look at you, what is your first response? Is it, oh my gosh, I am now you know, I'm this awful person, or now they think of me, this, this is my, my identity. That's where I think that's like a big warning sign, at least for me and hearing, cause I do the same thing, you know, uh, even when we try to live through our kids or try to establish who we are through our children, that can be good. It can also be pretty dangerous. Um, now, now we're at some different stages of parenting, Russ, your kids are all basically 10 and under. Yep. At this point, Emily, you have several adult children mm-hmm. uh, kind of out of the house, and I'm kind of still my kids mostly in the house, um, but toward the end of it. But your youngest um, is now a senior in high school. It is. It is. <laughs> but but my point is there's still, I've still got a bunch living in my house physically. And um, so, so, Emily, let me ask this. How have you seen the transition from young kids all in the house to kids that are mobile kind of still in the house? to now a lot of your kids kind of moving out of the house. Where, how have you seen the idolatries change? Change. That's a great question. I, I feel like we've been given the opportunity to release the stronghold of idol, idolizing our kids as they've launched because they are truly out of our control now, right? They're, they're on their own. They're doing their thing, and they're sometimes making good choices and sometimes not. And we have to just sit back and support them. I loved what you said about being a fan of your of your kids. That really resonates with our experience. That when we move from um, the, the almost 
unhealthy investment into the things that they're pursuing that we once pursued, then we can fall into an unhealthy um, idol, idolizing them. But when we invest in something that we've never experienced, like our daughter did horseback riding, and I, that was not something I'd ever done or ever longed to do, but I was interested because she was interested. I had just, I was a fan of watching her, you know, and I, I learned about equestrian um, life just because that's what she was interested in. So I truly was able to observe and respect and love what she was able to do in that. Whereas when my daughter went into ballet, that was something that was my experience. And so it was a different kind of investment. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I would um, encourage parents just to think about um, how we support our children and how we come alongside of them and be their fans and whatever they pursue um, would be a good check mm -hmm. to, to keep from idolatry. And I think, too, as they, as they grow and learn and launch, um, the relationship changes. We're, we're always going to be their parents, but we are in, in adulthood. It's very different. You know, it is a, um, a friendship that's budding and growing. And, and so there's, um, some parallel living in that as opposed to what you do as a reflection of me, because mm -hmm. where they are in their worlds, their people, their circles don't know Corey and me mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> So it's, mm -hmm. it's not a reflection of us at all. So things do change. Yeah. That, that I was, I wanted to ask you guys, like, cause that was another, I think a warning sign or how do you, your original question of how is, I think how much you try to control or own when it comes to your children makes, have to ask the question, what are you idolizing? Where, where's your identity found? And like, for me, you know, Kurt, you mentioned my oldest is 10. And so up to this point, it's kind of been or mom and dad duck go, the, the, the other ducklings follow. And we've been able to control that mm -hmm. for the most part. But now my daughter, she's getting to that age where she's developing into a teenager. She's starting to talk about boyfriends. and She wants to go spend time at her friend's house. We're starting to have the sleepover conversation. And I don't know who, what house, the parents. Or so like we're starting to lose some of that control. And me and my wife are starting to feel that why do we try to hold on to that what is what is at the you know the tip of the iceberg what's underneath so can you guys speak to mm -hmm. like you kind of just mentioned that man when we try to control things it actually might show that we are this is part of who we are in our identity and we're trying to own that instead of trusting or giving it away or you know can you does that speak into I, it's interesting you brought that up, um, Russ, because I just read this book this weekend, um, Sky Full of Stars. I highly recommend it by Peg, Meg Apperson. But she writes the story of her dream of being a mom. And her dream included healthy children that would one day be successful. And that was not God's plan for her. She had a very medically fragile child mm. and then had another child who needed open heart surgery at the same time. And so her, her um, journey in this was she realized that she was idolizing the perfect family and she was doing everything in her own power and control to make everything perfect. And that was stripped away from her. And she knew the whole time that God's hand was in it. And she came to a place of giving up her children in a way that they are yours, God. She basically says they are yours and I'm here to to serve them and serve you in the process. And, and she, I loved what she said, if you don't mind me just quoting one thing, it might help our listeners. 
She says, I found that holding tightly to Jesus and loosely to everything else keeps dreams from becoming idols Mm -hmm. and keeps Jesus on the throne of our lives where he belongs. And that's just kind of her, her anthem in this song, in this book. (laughs) And um, I'm going to recommend this to, to other moms that We are actually in community with someone with a medically fragile child. And so we're, the women in our group, we're all reading this book so we can better support our friend who's been this, along the same journey. But I'll recommend it to any moms who, who are struggling with this um, dream that they're holding on to that may or may not come shattering down upon them. Mm. And then what will they hold on to? No, that's good. That's Mm -hmm. very good. Good, good word there. Um, you know, control is interesting because when your kids are young, you actually have a responsibility to control them. Right. Uh, that's good parenting. Um, and what happens is as they grow, um, there becomes a letting go of control, but you still need to have control. And so from probably about age 10 to, you know, they leave your home, there's a, there's a give and take of that. Um, situation. And obviously it depends on how responsible they are, what they do with, with freedoms given all of those kinds of things. But, but the fundamental issue is the willingness to let them become who they're becoming, not who you want them to be. And sometimes that's really hard because, because you see what choices they could make and then what choices they actually do make. One of the things that, uh, that my wife and I did and and I read this somewhere years ago, so this wasn't our idea, but we adopted it. And it really, I think for us was healthy. I'm not saying everyone should do this, but we decided that when our kids hit their senior year of high school, that they should be completely self-governed, meaning we would stop trying to tell them anything that they should do or not do, um, other than basic house things. Like, yes, you live in the house, you're going to help with dishes. Yes, you're going to put your stuff away, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but, but in terms of where you go, when you go to bed, when you study, you, you know, any of that kind of stuff, we were just like, like, we're done. And, and what that did for us, uh, one of the reasons we did it is, is we believe that too many families, the parents control, 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 and the kid goes to college. And all of a sudden they're like, freedom! And, and they just go crazy because they've never had freedom. And we wanted our kids to make some mistakes and to make decisions while they were still in our house, still had the support, um, and just to respect that process. But what it did is it forced us early in middle school and high school to start the process of saying, okay, what, what do we need to do so that they're ready to self-govern as a senior? Um, how do we help them get there? But the, but the hard part was it meant we were taking our hands off things way before we probably wanted to um, in some ways, but it, but it allowed them to cultivate their own things. But there's a risk because all of a sudden you're saying, I wouldn't sit and play video games that long. Why are you doing that? Or whatever it is. And, and all of a sudden we just were saying, but they're going to make that choice on their own next year. We want them to, to get there. Um, now in, in some productive ways, but, but it means letting go of your conception of how they do it. And maybe some of that was, and I, I told my mom this the other day, I don't know if she listens to these podcasts or not, but um, she always asked me how my kids are doing academically. And I say the same thing to her all the time. It's like, I have no idea. 
And, um, and, and cause it's really important to my mom, how, how my kids do academically. And every time she asked me that I get this little pit in my stomach because that was really important to her when I was a kid. And so she would always ride me on my academic performance and was always like, what did you get on that test? What's it? And, and, and I hated it. Now, some of me doing this is the, doing the opposite of what you had done, mm-hmm. but but it was one of those areas where we just said, you know what, how my kids do academically, that's their deal. Um, I'll support them. I'll help them. I'll try to point them in a direction. But at the end of the day, I don't need them to do well. And so uh, the reason I bring up my mom is she was asking me how my kids were doing. And I said to her, I said, I don't know. And I said, I said, maybe one of the reasons I don't, don't know is you always pushed me on that. <laughs> and, and, and I, I didn't like it a ton then. And I still feel it in this, in this moment when you ask me how my kids are doing, because it's almost like saying your value to me is how well you perform um, rather than this is your issue. But, but now again, that's, that's a challenge because if you know your kids are underperforming, um, sometimes you do need to bring some structure and help them and drive them to, to live to what they're capable. But what I've seen is that by and large, you can't drive your kids to something they don't want to do. You can support them in something they want to do. But if you have a kid, even if they're capable, who says, I don't care about grades, all you're going to do is end up butting heads. And it's ultimately because you care about grades that you're saying you must get certain grades. Um, if they make a decision to say, I don't care about grades, um, you know, I'm going to graduate high school and I'll figure it out from there. And that's, that's what I'm doing. Um, then at some point you as a parent, even if you think they have more to offer and everything else have to be able to step back and say, okay, that at some point is their choice. And, and to the degree that I try to change that and manage that, it's actually, again, more about me than it is about them at some point. Um, now again, different if they come to you and say, I want to succeed, can you help me? Then, then you're all on, but, but to the degree you're trying to force all of those things, there's an idolatry and a control, um, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Well, you're making my blood pressure go up and my heart rate is for what's (laughs) to come. And, you know, man. And of course, you know, your mom loves, your mom loves her baby boy. So she's definitely listening to this. So (laughs) hi, Kurt's mom, you know, um, but no, I, 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 I know that to be true. And I guess like, you know, you brought up Keller's counterfeit God's book. And, you know, I, I actually have a quote here from that too, where he says, anxiety is always the result of an implosion or collapse of a false God. And, you know, I think that that's true is, you know, when we, when we look at our children or whatever it is we do idolize. And if we've, I think that warning sign of, oh, our kids have become something that we idolize is he talks about how do you respond when your kids do make a mistake, when they do fail, when they do fall short, your response will tell you or indicate, are you idolizing your children or are you doing the things that you talked about where, you know, you are that they need to, they need to own it. They need to, you know, make their decisions, but they're still under your support and you can come along and be a fan when you can be a fan, bring some advice or structure, but how you initially respond to whatever that failure is, if it's something that you can't look in, if, you know, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I was like, man, that is so true. And if, I just know it's going to be a long road as I walk down this parenting journey and, you know, listen to folks who have, who have been down this road and, and hear and know, man, it's, 
it doesn't get easier, but when your eyes are fixed on Christ, at least we can at least know this isn't my identity, you know, but. Oh, go ahead. I think it's helpful to be in the context of um, Christian community in the church, because I know that when, when our kids have made poor choices and had gone through hard times, being in a life group, a small group of people that we can just be real honest with and vulnerable with has helped us because they know that we are less than perfect parents and they love us anyway and they encourage us and and keep us from having to hide the fact that our children have made mistakes and, and had hard times. So I encourage listeners who feel like they have to keep this facade of a perfect family to, to find a group of people that they can be real with and do life with because there's there's security in that um, encouragement and that prayer and the, the life that's lived together in community that, that helps us with parenting and, and decreases our anxiety about it, Russ. Yeah, that's a really good word. Trusted friends who you can be authentic with and say what's real can hold a mirror up to us and help us see what is hard to see. One of the things I was also going to say is, is your spouse. Sometimes you'll have the same idolatries, but sometimes you won't. And when you don't, your spouse will often see it more clearly mm-hmm. again than you do. And will and so so if you're co-parenting and your spouse is pointing something out, our tendency is to be resistant especially when it comes from our spouse. Cause it's like, I don't want to hear it from you. Not, not that that's uh, any, but, but there's just because you're in it so deeply together, but it's really helpful. Um, there's so many times when faith has said to me something, a word of correction about just where I was too, um, excited about something or passionate about something. And she talked me off ledges that, that changed the course of parenting. And, um, and, you know, that's so helpful if you, but, but if you don't hear that, it can also catch you. So, um, so let me ask this. Um, so if you realize that maybe you have a tendency toward a little bit of idolatry with, with kids, family, what is the corrective? How do you change the course? Hmm. I mean, as, as cliche as it may or may not sound, I, I think the first thing is, humbly going to the Lord with it and presenting it to him and, and inviting him in as scary as that might be, or what unknown might God might show, but saying, Hey Lord, I think this might be a problem for me. Will you reveal it? Will you speak into it? Will you, when I open your word, will you begin to use it to, to tell me, am I, is this true? Is this right? You know, or to Emily's point, I think it's such a good point, especially after we've spent quarantine has forced our families and we've gotten to know even more each other. And some things have really come that we, you know, couldn't hide or, you know, it's just like, you know, is there someone that I can go to and be open, be vulnerable, be honest and ask, Hey, do you see this? You know, one of the things that I learned, um, early in my adult life and in my professional life is we all have blind spots. And so sometimes we don't even know, or we can't even see how big of a deal this is and how it's affecting us. And so do we have that person or that, that group or that life group that we can, do I have folks like you who are one season ahead of me in this parenting journey? Can I go to and say, Hey, am I crazy? Like, or is this normal or my kid? You know, I think those things that structure that community and that, that vulnerability, both to the Lord first and then to some, some trusted folks in your life, 
are, are two key points and spouse. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's usually a clear, my, my go-to is always Lindsay and you know, she's very quick to let me know <laughs> where I'm at mm-hmm. on some of this stuff. But Emily, what would you add to I've that? I've experienced growth in this area by um, being in prayer with some women, with the women in prayer group, because when I hear the way they pray for their children and call out to God on behalf of their children who have strayed away from faith or are broken by addiction and sickness and things like that, it inspires me to to pray in a different way because there's just something um, special about hearing that we we all share this common brokenness and trouble sometimes with our the way our our children the direction they're going and so I think it's it's true um, coming before the Lord repentance to change me but also it's a spiritual discipline of learning how to pray with others and moving beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, those are great thoughts. Um, just a couple of things. You, Ross, you mentioned people beyond you. Sometimes that's very direct. Sometimes it's very indirect. And what I mean is that's the breadth of community. I remember years ago, and I've said this, shared this publicly, but there was a, an older woman in the church who was a season or two ahead of us. She had raised all her kids. And I remember her just off the cuff one day saying, you know, one of the things I learned with my kids is that it was way better to ask questions than to try to tell them what to do. And she said, Mm -hmm. what I learned is that if I just kept asking questions, that sooner or later they would come to a good place. But if I tried to say, this is what you should do, I would, I would lose them before they, they could kind of come to the reasoning. And she wasn't mentoring me, telling me what to do. She was just sharing her experience. But it was one of those moments that stuck in my head where it's like, okay, when I am up against something with my kids and I'm not sure that they're making a good choice, rather than me saying, well, you should, that if I just start asking questions, what was in your mind when you did this? Now, why did you think that? Was that accurate? What alternatives would you have had instead of that? Could you have chosen? And just by doing that, all of a sudden, I, I switched my whole role with my kids. But I had that because I was in a relationship with somebody who, who had moved beyond uh, where I was and, and could hear that. But so, so I think that's really helpful just to say who, who's ahead of me in life, who has somehow navigated this and doesn't appear to have made an idol of their kids. And just being in that, um, relationship is good. The other thing that, that I personally have found helpful, and again, not that I don't still have this issue, but, uh, is, is when I pray, for my kids or for other things that I'm passionate about. I'll often just say the phrase to God, God, I know you care more about, Mm. and I'll mention my kid or the situation than I do. And what I find that does is it reminds me that God really does care more about this than I do. Like as much as I care about, it's not that I don't care, but as much as I care about this, God actually cares more. And it helps me to, to take a step back from, from my anxiety of saying, if this doesn't work out. And, and I think that's one of the hallmarks of idolatry. It, idolatry says, this must work this way. And if it doesn't, then, then all these bad things are going to happen and my life can't be joyful. And, and what that prayer does is it lets me say, whatever happens here, God actually cares more about this. And he might actually have an agenda in this that I can't see that's way more important than what I can see. Because what we tend to do is we tend to think, well, if my you know, child doesn't get on the you know, third grade travel volleyball team, uh, then they're never going to play 
volleyball. They're never going to get to college. They're going to, you know, and, and we just go down this rabbit hole of anxiety rather than saying, maybe God doesn't want my child on the third grade travel volleyball team because it's going to put our family on a path of traveling every weekend, deprioritizing family time, deprioritizing church, deprioritizing. I mean, you just don't know. And, and, and that's what I mean when I say to say, God, you care more about this so I can trust that you're at work, even if my preferred outcome doesn't happen. Mm. Um, that, that for me helps me take a step back from, from the idolatry. And again, not just in this, but in, in other areas of my life as well. So, so, so good. Well, thank you uh, guys for uh, taking some time to talk about this. And uh, thank you. Those of you who are listening just for uh, spending part of your day with us on the perspectives podcast. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us uh, talk about or address, uh, please feel free to contact the church office and we'd be happy to um, add that to the list of perspectives that we'd like to bring. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful day.